0: Church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you yet you have still a few names in Sardis people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life I will confess his name before my father and before his angels he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches father thank you take this time may we use it wisely and give glory and honor to you through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Was there any subject that you studied in school that while you were sitting there studying, you were thinking to yourself, I really don't know why I'm having to learn this. I just have no interest in it, and it's never going to benefit me in life. Anybody have that while you were sitting there in school? I can remember sitting in a geography class. And I was thinking to myself as I was sitting there looking at, at all these old maps of, of the Roman civilization or Greek uh, and all these things, and I would think to myself, why in the world do I need to know this? I live in Piedmont. I know where I am. That's all I need to know pretty much. But now, as a Bible student and as somebody who reads the Bible every day, now I understand uh, how some of those things help me to as uh, I'm reading through scripture, I can think back to some of the things I learned in geography or history about some of these places and civilizations, and it's been a benefit to me. I can remember sitting in a, in a math class in algebra and learning Pythagorean theorem, and I thought to myself, I will never once in my life ever use Pythagorean theorem. Now, I have had several math teachers through the years as I've said that come to me and say, if you did this, this, or this, then you use Pythagoras' theorem. And I, I was proved wrong. So when I get to heaven, I have to tell Ms. Dempsey, my algebra teacher, that I was wrong and she was right. But some of you may be thinking, why would we take time on Sunday morning to study seven churches from 2,000 years ago? And if you're paying attention, you realize we skipped a church because Pergamum and... Uh, Thyatira are, are so similar that I just uh, decided to move on and go to Sardis. But what, a lot of people would probably be thinking, why would we take time on a Sunday morning to study seven churches from 2,000 years ago? Here's why. Because Jesus took time to give special instruction to these seven churches. And here's why he did that. There's two reasons. One is because he loves the church. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking about everyone who is a part of the bride of Christ. Everyone who is a member of the church. Everyone uh, who has repented of their sins and given their life to following Jesus Christ. Jesus loves the church universal. But secondly, Jesus loves the local church. Jesus loves the local church. There was a shift in Jerusalem. After the ascension of Jesus. The temple was no longer the center of worship practice. The church had become localized. People were meeting house to house. And it became a personal thing. And Jesus um, wants us to be a part of a local church. He wants us to be a part of a local body. A local assembly. He wants us to have that fellowship. And that nourishment. And that growth that can only come through that. And because of his love for the local church, we should examine scripture that would help us to be the most pleasing to Christ himself. I believe with all my heart that every person here, every individual here, has a calling on their life that is unique to them and specialized to them that God has given you individually. But I believe even further, and we talked about this the first night of our I Will study on Sunday evenings, I believe that every church has a calling. I believe that every local church, if they're paying attention and they're praying and they're seeking the face of God, that God has a specific calling for them. And it may change over time. It may change uh, due to what's going on in their community. But I believe that each church has a special calling. Well, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, God allows us to examine the seven churches of Asia Minor. He has commendations and corrections for each one of the, for almost all these churches and he encourages us as we hear in that last verse every week he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so we begin this morning looking at these scriptures and we see Jesus as he always does at the beginning he reveals himself as God he reveals himself in his deity and his glory and he tells this. He tells John to write this: Him who holds, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He describes himself as controlling the seven spirits of God, and he's going to give this Sardinian church a warning, and it's a strong warning. And he's going to tell. He's telling them: If you are strong, it's because I have sent my spirit to encourage and to, and to quicken you. God, the Son, Jesus Christ takes his time to reveal himself to a local church and to tell them his intention for them. And I believe this morning that we should be praying together and asking God to reveal to us everything that he would have for us to be doing individually and together. So let's look at the takeaway. He also begins, as he does with every letter that he writes with this phrase, I know your works. And through saying that, he says, you have a misrepresented reputation. Jesus has great knowledge of this church in Sardis as he does with all the other churches. And his knowledge reveals their true condition. They are living and thinking in one way, but Jesus says, I have knowledge of you and I know your true condition. What you are doing now is not what I want you to be doing. You see, someone had come into the church at Sardis. And they had begun to preach a works-based gospel. They had begun to preach a merit-based gospel. They had begun to preach that their works were what gave them salvation and that their works were what would keep them in favor with Jesus. As we just sang the song that Penny led us in, it was so wonderful as before I came to the pulpit to see those words up there that said, you know, it was finished at the cross. And and it was, it was Jesus who... Made away from me. And now somehow this doctrine has become a part of the church at Sardis and it has begun to affect them spiritually and they have begun to decline in believing what they have been taught originally. Now Sardis as a city was once one of the most famous royal cities in Asia Minor. Now it has been reduced to nothing. And the church, that the people in Sardis are living off their past fame. And this spirit has begun to affect this local church here. It may be that they had become so much like the surrounding society that the cross didn't offend people anymore. Um, they didn't seem, this peop, these people here, we see no indication in the writing here, uh, the, the letter that Jesus gives them, they don't seem to be in the same danger of death the way that some are in prison, the same that some of the other churches are. And Jesus goes on, to talk about this and he says you were once alive but now you're dead. Now Sardis is a city that is preoccupied with death. The citizens of Sardis have a great preoccupation with death in such a way that they built a large necropolis right outside of the city. It was a huge cemetery that had great big monuments and great big tombs and the people would go and they would walk through those tombs and they were just fascinated and drawn to death. Now, it wasn't that long ago, I was I had been walking the hills over here at Highland Cemetery and I'm walking one Sunday afternoon, I have my headphones on and I pop up and there's John and Kay Hansman walking around looking. And I, I told John, I said, look, you can find a better place to take a date than a cemetery. But these people were fascinated by they were fascinated by death, and the afterlife. But they weren't connected in a relationship with Jesus, and so they, they seemed to honor death more than they did life. Jesus basically tells the church at Sardis, "You've become like your surrounding um, people, and you have become it has caused you to have a spiritual death." Because what Jesus is pointing out to them here is your works are dead without the Spirit of Christ as a part of them, and you have begun to teach that it is a works-based salvation, and now because of that you don't have the Spirit of Christ, and so your works are just dead. This this past week I had an encounter on Tuesday. I was I I, I had some business to take up take care of Tuesday morning. I took a vacation day. When I got finished with my um. My business that I had to take care of, I went home, and this—I know this sounds odd to you—but I spent the next several hours sitting with a bowl of muscadines, watching the uh, C-SPAN and watching the, the confirmation hearings. So I am—I'm am a, I, I'm a, I just love those kind. Of, it's my Super Bowl to sit there and watch those things. I love the history that's involved in that. And one of my kids came in and, and said, "What in the world are you doing?" Today? I said, "This is the most important thing that's going to happen in the next 25 years. How do you not? How are you not interested in this?" But right in the middle of that, someone knocked on my door, and I went to the door, and there stood somebody with a Watchtower magazine, and he wanted to tell me about how I should be reading the Bible more and how I should be uh, living for the Bible, and and I. I was in, I was so connected to what I was to what I had going on inside. I didn't even take time to argue with him. I, I just took his watchtower and I said, well, "I see it won't do me any good to argue with him. it Won't do him any good to argue with me. I'll just send him on." So I hope, he went next door to my neighbor's house and he got an argument when he got there. But what what is what is happening there? And then one of my sons had an encounter with a Mormon yesterday. And, and the Mormon began to tell him about Mormonism and about the and, and so we encounter these situations in life where these religions that are based on works and and the the man who came to my door believes that the more doors that he knocks on and the more people he has those magazines to and, and it's like a quota to get him into heaven and and so it's it's just uh, here we live and these people in Sardis, are surrounded by this, and they have become like the religions around them. And he goes on to let them know that they are asleep and weak. He uses this signal. He's basically saying, wake up. It's like he's taking them by the shoulders and he's shaking them, and he's saying, wake up in the present tense. He's saying, you are sitting here asleep, and you have to change immediately and radically. You have to change right now. And he's telling, the uh, as he's writing this, he's alerting this congregation. He says, you have to be alerted to the seriousness of this situation that you're in. Complacency has led them to give up their identity with Christ. They are no more now than just blending in, and they look like everyone else around them. Jesus didn't call us to blend in. Jesus didn't call us to be like everyone around us. Jesus called us to what? He called us to stand out. And he called us to be different than those around us. And and I, I can remember as a young Christian or right before I became a Christian, I was noticing other people's lives and how they were living. And I can remember working with people. And I knew through working with them, they didn't have to tell me. They didn't have to wear a shirt that said I'm a Christian. They didn't have to have a tag on their car that said I'm a Christian. Their life each and every day proved to me that they were a Christian. And they modeled Jesus Christ in front of me. I played basketball one year for Coach Stan Jones. And I remember somewhere along the way there in playing for him, uh, I realized without him telling me, Coach Jones is a Christian. The things he says are Christ-like. The things that he does, the example that he gives us, the way that he lives in front of us. If he were to sit down with any one of us and want to share his testimony, he already has our attention by the way that he's lived in front of us. And he's telling this church to wake up. Don't be complacent the way that you have. You need to immediately do these things. And he says that you need to strengthen what remains. Maybe you're a Sunday school class teacher or, or leader or and maybe... Or you come into the church, and maybe you get preoccupied sometimes in your Sunday school class with who might not be there that Sunday. And you get those things on your mind. And, and maybe there's Sundays where there's uh, more people who are not there than are there. What, what's more important, what I've always found out in ministry, is to concentrate on those who remain. And to strengthen those that remain. Uh, my first pastor, Derek Smith, used to have this saying, I would do a youth event, and I'd say, well, Derek, you know, there's only, there's only 15, 20 kids showed up, and he said, you got to run with what you brung. He said, if you go to the drag strip, he said, I I, I ran around, I hung around the drag strip a lot when I was a boy, and sometimes people would show up with a car that wasn't quite as good as everybody else, but their saying was, you got to run with what you brung. And Derek was teaching me, you've got to invest in those 15 or 20 that are there and not worry about the 30 or 40 who decided not to come. So, Paul, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus rather is saying here to this group, strengthen those that are left. There were people who could be salvaged if they decided to hear the words of Jesus and change immediately. If not, death was coming to them surely. He says, you're not complete. He says, the way that you're living, the things that you believe, there's no way to be filled completely relying on your works. Jesus said this in John 15:5. He, he described being in a relationship where we were engrafted to him like a branch to a vine. And Jesus said, if you choose to live apart from me, there's nothing that you can accomplish. So we see the takeaway, we see what he's told them. Now let's look at the turnaround. He says, remember then what you have received. They had received and they had heard the truth of the gospel. And they hadn't just heard this from anybody who was traveling through, but there had been actual apostles of Jesus who had came there to Sardis and who had established this church and they had taught them and they had given them the news of Christ. And now he says, you're not holding to the words of Christ That you once did in the beginning. They're teaching that good works could gain them eternal life. And I have friends that when I talk to them about becoming a Christian. They describe in their life what looks like to be. uh, They have in their mind. They have what seems to be a set of scales. And they believe that if they've done more good on that set of scales. Than what they have the bad that they might have done. They believe that the good's going to outweigh the bad and there's no way that a loving God could do anything but accept the good works that they have. And they'll tell you, you, know I've never done anything really that bad and you explain to them the truth of the gospel and in their mind, they have that scale system. and that's, that's what these people had begun to teach. Today, many religions teach that good works have to outweigh the bad for eternal life. It's what we call universalism. Someone in, in, in the world that we live in today, the train of thought is this. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. You may get there by being a Hindu. You may get there by being a Buddhist or a Muslim. Or maybe you choose Christianity. But the thought of the world is, is that all paths eventually lead to God and lead to heaven. And We know this to be false because Jesus said these very words in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father beside without coming through me. Jesus made it very clear. And and some people say, well that's very narrow. And that's very narrow minded. I don't think so at all. I think it was very I think Jesus broadened the way there and gave an example there to say there's one way and you're welcome to come. And I, I'm making it plain and clear to you. That I am the only way and there's no other way in any other way is a false hope and a lie. Paul would go on to, to write to the Galatian church who also got involved in, in, in similar circumstances. and He would say this in verse number 8 of uh, chapter 1 in Galatians. He said, um, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, Jesus is telling them, you got to go back and remember what you got there in the beginning, what made you a church worthy of me writing to you because I'm trying to wake you up and to get you to see that you need to return to where you were. So he tells them to keep it and repent. Now, there's that word again, repent. He tells them to repent. He tells them to change. And again, he's saying this has to happen immediately. Now, he doesn't tell them that there's some special ceremony that you need to go through. He doesn't tell them there's some special service that you need to hold. He only says this, obey immediately and, and repent. Sometimes repentance is just simply understanding in your heart through the Holy Spirit pointing out to you that you're doing something wrong or you're not doing something that you should be doing. And sometimes that might bring you to a place of an altar with tearful sorrowness. And sometimes it might just simply be like a bell ringing in your head where you say, I need to change. And you just immediately change and repent and go in a different direction. And Jesus is saying to this church here, I simply want you to do what you had been doing in the beginning and to teach and preach the cross the way that you had been. And uh, he goes further though. He says, if you don't repent and make the gospel the authority over their life, I will come in judgment as a thief. Now, think about a thief. Does a thief let you know that they're coming to your house? Not in this church he wouldn't. (laughs) some of y'all live in an armory Uh, there's no way that a thief would would, uh, call some of you up and say hey I'm coming by your house tonight um, because they know they wouldn't make it out of the yard what does a thief do? a thief comes by surprise a thief comes by surprise when when you're not expecting them now this registers with this uh, community here in Sardis because it hadn't been that long ago that they had been attacked by Cyrus by surprise and they'd been overran and they weren't quite as powerful as they were after that. And Christ is saying to them, I will come against you in judgment and I will make you even weaker than you are right now to the point that you may no longer even exist as a church. What a needed message this is for the church today around the world that the urgency of preaching and teaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what's primary and how we have the opportunity to partner with a ministry like the Gideons who are simply proclaiming the message of the Lord Jesus Christ through scripture and by placing scripture in people's hands and telling them this is the truth of how To get to heaven. And how to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now we finish by looking at Jesus making it a point in this local church to say. You have a faithful few. You have some people who haven't been stained by this world. The majority have departed. They're not faithful anymore. They're not obedient to Christ anymore. But he says you have a faithful few who have not been stained. By this world, I'm reading through several uh, books in the Old Testament right now, and every situation, I read through the book of Jeremiah in the past couple of weeks, and the proclamation was made uh, by Jeremiah from God that I'm going to, God said, I'm going to allow Jerusalem to be overran and destroyed. But he said, I'm going to leave a fateful few there, I'm going to leave a remnant there. And several times throughout the scriptures there we see where every time that they were taken in captivity, God always left a small group of people there in Jerusalem. Because he knew that at some point he would bring his people back and there had to be something to build on. And God is saying, Jesus is saying here to the church at Sardis, there are a few of you left, I have something to build on. Because there's some of you who haven't followed the way of the world and I'm going to begin a work through you. Now he describes them as being worthy to wear or or he describes them as as wearing a white garment. Now the pagans who lived in Sardis when they went to the Roman temples and they worshipped the Roman gods they wore the whitest white that they could possibly wear. They made sure that they had no stains on them. And Jesus is pointing out here to this church in Sardis, you've mingled with those pagans and you've sold yourselves and you have hurt the purity of your relationship with Christ. Now, they were preoccupied with outward appearance, but they had little regard for the inner purity toward Christ and how they could be witnesses to the loss there. Now, he says there are some of you who are worthy of this white garment. Now, he makes a promise here that's real important that we need to pay careful attention to as we finish up. He says this. He says there are some of you there. You have a few names and as people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Thus, one who conquers will be clothed, Thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Jesus says this He says, Your relationship is pure, it can be pure, and it can be guaranteed for eternity. See, there was a tradition. In cities like Sardis. If you were a citizen and your name was on the roll of being a citizen of a city. If you committed a crime and you were taken to court. And you were convicted of that crime. do You know what they did to you? Not only did they punish you by imprisonment. But they took something and on the public roll they blotted your name out as if you had never existed and were never a citizen of that city. And so it was a very shameful thing to have been condemned for a criminal act because you knew that they were going to take something and they were going to blot your name out as if you never existed and never really were a part of that civilization. You see, Here's what happens to us. When we do wrong, when we mess up or when we sin or, or something happens in our lives, what does the world say about us? What does the world do to us? The world condemns us. The world condemns us. And, and the world says, uh, uh, says awful things about us or, or treats us differently. But blessed be to God this morning, That because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, there's no public record of my sin. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, and it's the best news that I ever heard. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus is saying here, if you, if you are pure and you have confessed your sins, you've repented of those sins, I have your name written in the book of life. And I go to the Father and I pray for you before the Father. I am on my knees praying for you. It's like your name has been engraved in my hand. And I am praying constantly and consistently for you. David the psalmist said that my sins it was far as God's memory were as far as the east is from the west. Now that's good news this morning. And here's what we simply need to do. We simply need to tell the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning you may be sitting here and you may feel condemned. You may feel unclean. You may feel unworthy. But the writings here that Jesus gives to us say that there is an opportunity for you to feel completely different because you know that you have been forgiven of your sins and those sins aren't held accountable to you anymore. That Jesus took your sins on the cross, that he bore your sins there, and that they were uh They were there with him, and he took your place where you should have been. He lived the life you should have lived, and he died the death you should have died. And because of that, we can know for certain that we have eternal life. And the world may condemn us, and the world may look at us, and the world may find fault with us, but we know this, that Jesus has taken our sins, and he has taken them, and that God the Father looks at us, and when He sees us, He sees us through the cross of Christ, and He sees us through His Son, and He sees us as have been being adopted into His family, and we have forgiveness, and that's wonderful news this morning. And I want to tell you this morning that nothing else matters in your life. Accept that at the end of these days, when you come to the end of life, what will matter is, am I forgiven of my sins? And do I know that I am going to be in heaven for eternity with Christ? That's what will matter. And this morning, you've heard the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, Lived a life that we should have lived, but we were incapable of living. He went to a cross that was designed for us, and he took our sins there. He was crucified. He was dead. He was buried for three days, and then he rose again, and he now is in heaven longing to be in a relationship with you. This morning, during this time of invitation and worship and decision, I want you to think about where you are. Maybe you're like these people here in Sardis, and maybe you've thought that you've built a religion around yourself and your good works and your good deeds and what you can do and your abilities. Or maybe there was a point in time where someone pushed you forward in a service and said you need to be baptized, and you really don't know why you were baptized. Maybe there was a time where you walked down an aisle and you signed a card or something, you became a member of a church, but you have no idea about ever praying or ever saying to God, "I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness." This morning, you may be just like the people here in Sardis that Jesus was saying, "Your works are not worthy. Your works are not good enough. You're spiritually dead, and you need to be in a relationship with Me." Whatever it is, maybe you are come to a point to where you need you know that you need to follow in believer's baptism, or you know for certain that you're a Christian. And you need to be a part of a local body of believers. Whatever the situation that you're in, this morning would be the wonderful, perfect time for you to do that. I'm going to ask Darren to come and to lead us in a time of invitation. And while we're there, I want us to earnestly pray and ask God where we are in our relationship with Jesus. Where are we this morning? God has a specific calling for your life. God has a specific calling for your church. And let's pray about what those callings are to us and how we can be involved in those. But most importantly, if you're here this morning and you need to know Christ as your Savior, would you come and allow me to take Scripture or allow me to bring a deacon and let them show you Scripture and let you know that you can leave here today knowing that you will be in heaven with Jesus for eternity. Would you stand? Father this morning I pray and I ask that you would speak to our hearts that you would gloriously look at us that we would examine ourselves and that we would we would know for certain how we stand with you. Father, thank you that our sins are forget can be forgiven. That They are as far away from us as the east is to west. And Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to hearts, that you would draw people through your Holy Spirit and point them to a relationship with Jesus and forgiveness through him. Father, have your way and your will during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.